0: From the Restoration Archives, this is Light and Truth. This extemporaneous Q and A session with Denver Snuffer was originally recorded in Big Cottonwood Canyon, Utah, on September twentieth, two thousand fifteen, in front of a live audience. Adam we gathered together in the valley of Adam on island, where and it outlines the names of those who participated. It was a series of high priests one in each generation, because you could only have one in each generation, a total of seven generations from Adam being gathered together there in the valley of Adam-on-Diamond with the residue of the posterity who were righteous. And the Lord came and administered comfort to Adam. And Adam, being filled with the Holy Ghost, gets up and he predicts all things are going to happen to his posterity down to the latest generations of time. That's in the same section of the Doctrine and Covenants that describes the First Presidency, point of the Twelve, and so on. In fact, what Joseph was doing was preparing and using the church as an incubator. The incubator was supposed to produce a product. The end product of that would literally graduate from the church, and it would be a king and a queen, a priest and a priestess, the idea being that those would then go off and they would establish their own kingdom. They might use churches to um, prepare and incubate their groups, but they would be fully equipped to go off and establish the kingdom of God on earth. It never happened. They had one dry run. The one dry run occurred in the Council of 50 in a meeting in which Joseph and Emma were made a king and a queen, a priest and a priestess, It was not done in a way that systematized or regularized it, and therefore it got lost. And in the post-martyrdom era of the church, what has happened is we've, we've adopted the phraseology of king and queen, priest and priestess, and we've incorporated it into a temple endowment, and we've said, there it is, and it's owned by the church, and the church administers it. And when you're done with that, you're supposed to be a good member of the church, and that's it. You never... You never do graduate. But Joseph had turned the church over to Hiram. I mean, he was moving on to be and do something different. And Hiram was the one who was taking over and running the church. Joseph got up and complained to the members that the members were not paying attention to Hiram the way that they ought to be paying attention to Hiram because Hiram had essentially taken over and was now running the thing, not him. But all of that has been lost. It never had a fulsome enough development while Joseph was still here for us to be able to reconstruct even what the objective was. We we don't have the capacity to complete that process. And to the extent that there's any description of that or any vocabulary that relates to that, everyone assumes that that has been adopted and is incorporated into the church and the ordinances of the church. So, there's a lot of work left to be done if the restoration is going to be completed. We know that Joseph prophesied there would be another adam on Diamond event. Except that one, instead of it being prospective, with the history of the world yet to occur, and with it being reflected by prophecy from Adam, filled with the Holy Ghost. In the next one, it will be retrospective, in which what has happened returns and keys and accountability for what has happened are... The subject matter of the future meeting in which the term Adam on Diamond means Adam in the presence of Ammon or in the presence of God. It is a description of an event, it is an occurrence. It's like BYU UCLA football game. BYU-UCLA football game happened yesterday in the Coliseum in L.A., but it happened a few years ago in the Lavelle Edwards Stadium in Provo, and it was still the BYU-UCLA football game. And the fact is that if there was a flood or some other problem, you could play that football game anywhere. You could even play that in a bowl game somewhere somewhere, In Louisiana, it would still be the same event. Adam on Diamond is a description of an event, and it will happen at a location that is not owned by the corporation of the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because, quite frankly, they don't belong in that meeting. They won't belong in that meeting. When it occurs, it will occur on different criteria and on a different basis. How you get from where you are now to the point where it would be suitable and appropriate for an event like that to even be considered is a long, long effort because we we have a restoration to complete. We have prophecies to fulfill. We have things that need to be done and we have covenants that need to be renewed and all of that begins again in embryo at the very basic level of faith, repentance, baptism, fellowships, collecting, tithing, assisting one another, and acting like we're Christians and acting like we care about one another. And in fact, stopping with the notion that climbing up and having authority over someone is a good thing and recognizing it for what it is. It's an evil thing. No power or influence can or ought to be exercised by one man over another. The only way that you should exercise influence is by meekness and gentleness and persuasion. If you know more than I do, then enlighten me. Persuade me. Teach me that that my heart will resonate with what you have to say. But don't presume that you have the right to call me and afflict me and tell me that if I don't bend my knee at this particular moment, then you're going to use some compulsory means in order to get from me exactly what you hope to extract from me. No one should be imposing upon anyone else. I heard someone comment about how all these fellowships that are gathered here are remarkably diverse. That's because people are diverse. God went to the trouble, he went to the trouble of making every single tree here Absolutely unique. There isn't one that is like the other. There isn't a snowflake that is like another. I would venture to say that when we finally get the mechanism with which to measure and recognize, we will realize there isn't an atom that is the same. We are all humans. There's not one of you that's the same. Should a fellowship be put together with a cookie cutter that says this is what you must do and this is what you must not do when in fact the needs are so diverse from one to another? I mean, there there ought to be diversity. There ought to be uniqueness. There ought to be recognition of what each group has in terms of contributions and what each group has in terms of needs. And it ought to be flexible enough to do that. I was reading in the Times and Seasons a bunch of conference minutes of conferences that were held in the early church. This was in 1841. So we're quite a ways into the Restoration at this point. They were still ordaining elders by the voice of the congregation. In other words, there wasn't this concept of marrying together priesthood, priesthood lines of authority the office of elder was filled pretty much the way the office of Relief Society president is fulfilled. Can we all agree to support her as the next Relief Society president? And we all raise our hands. She just became that. We've ordained her just, just by that act. Well, someone set her apart. Okay, but she's already been ordained. And the congregation did that. They ordained them to offices. Offices were not priesthood. We've conflated priesthood and office together in such a way that we don't even appreciate the rudiments of priestly authority. Priestly authority comes down in a line by men, but it isn't empowered until the man connects with heaven. If you go to the scriptures and you look at what I've written, I pointed it out, it's in there. Over and over again, the ordinations had two features, had two facets, laying out of hands by someone that is in that tradition, and then secondly, connecting to heaven and God empowering them. And so here we have this longstanding tradition. There's probably not a guy here, including someone as young as 12 years old. There's probably not a male here that hasn't had someone lay hands on their head and give them some form of priesthood. But the second part of that, that is connecting to heaven and having heaven animate that, is not considered necessary by those who don't understand priesthood, but is considered vital by those who do and when God is the one that completes that process. I I saw an article, the church is now building a memorial where they're claiming Peter, James, and John came and restored Melchizedek priesthood, which had to happen before the church was organized, except that, as I point out, citing Joseph Smith's own history, his ordination of the priesthood did not happen until June of 1831, when the voice of God, as Um, Genesis chapter 14 that he translated in the Joseph Smith version, that's when they got permission to do the ordination. Peter, James, and John is referred to by Joseph only, not in section 27. That was added by a committee. That wasn't Joseph's work. All of that additional language was added by them. He refers to Peter, James, and John in his letter that's in 128. And there he says, Peter, James, and John, who came and declared themselves as possessing the keys of the dispensation of the fullness of times. Okay, Um, I'm in possession of keys to my office. Do you now hold the keys to my office? Do you have the keys to my, do you have the keys to my office? I declared myself as being in possession of the keys to my office. Oh, cool. (laughs) Great for Peter, great for James, great for John. I will tell you what that means. And I will tell you it only means this. It does not confer upon Joseph or Oliver authority. But it does connect them in a line of patriarchs to the fathers if you're doing a genealogy chart and you're asking unto whom then would joseph have been connected he would not be connected to um joseph smith senior joseph smith senior if he's going to be connected in would be connected in as a son of joseph That connection was not something that having been established was even appreciated during Joseph Smith's lifetime. Still isn't appreciated. There is so much more to the restoration that still has to be put on the ground that the restoration has hardly begun. Joseph laid the groundwork. And in order to take that very next step, You have to return to the point of the beginning at which it ended. You have to gather back together everything that happened before in order to be able to take the next step in that line. It doesn't matter if you're over there if the destiny is up there. Develop all you want out there. But you're never going to find yourself back into that final gathering at Adam on Diamond in which... Adam will be present, and Adam will be present in the presence of Amen, or Son Amen, and a meeting will take place. But there's a lot left to be done. We we tend to think um, as soon as we've got something that that means we've got everything, and when we've got something, what we've got is something. But everything is a lot further down the road with a lot more diligence and heed and effort and study. Um, I'm constantly amazed at our arrogance. I I said it, I don't think it's in the book, but it's in the recording. I said, there is absolutely nothing special about us yet. And and the fact is that there can be. There, there, There can be if we're diligent. Okay, so... All of that came out of a discussion that was going on up there and someone said, oh, people are feeling left out. But all of that was provoked by some questions and stuff. Does I mean are there any questions that someone's wanted to ask? And yeah. Well, Lewis, you ask me questions all the time. What the more organization
1: and how it's <laughs>
0: okay Yeah, um, disjointed and uh, ill-organized. You know, the fact of the matter is that the freedom, yeah, the question was comment on how disjointed or octopoid, um, that is having eight separate uh, folks vying for primacy, Um, how disjointed the fellowships can be. That is not a bad thing. That is a normal thing. Try to envision yourselves as a temporary family, a temporary gathering together of members of a family. If you don't have some wonky aunts and some curious uncles, In fact, maybe an uncle or two that you want to keep the kids away from. I mean, every family has some strange folks in it. Consider the fellowships nothing more than an extension of that. And try and love one another. The fact is that there are going to be those who, through their behavior in fellowships, are going to disqualify themselves from being able to be gathered. Because they're just not the kind of people that can live in peace one with another. That also is a good thing. And then there are others who come to the fellowships and their primary interest is in what they can take, what they can get. And there are others who come with the only idea in their heart being, what can I give? How can I serve? And even though they may not be able to give or serve much, that's what's in their heart. And you all recognize that. You can all see that in people. And those are the kinds of people from which the lord is going to gather and build zion no one in zion is going to be a threat to someone else can't be it it defeats the purpose of it all to be able to live in peace with one another means that you literally are harmless to one another and and the diversity in which you find yourselves and and the ability to bump the corners off one another in fellowships. Those are healthy, good, normal things. And hopefully they run their course and eventually result in people becoming smoother and becoming easier with one another. There's some people I admire immensely and and they're, they're tough personalities <laughs> and they're difficult to deal with. And there are other people who are hard to deal with because they're too easygoing. And they really need to speak up more. They have more to add, but they won't do it until you coax it patiently out of them. And if you don't figure out that you've got to coax it patiently out of them, you're missing the treasure that this person represents. And your fellowships, think of one another as members of a, of a family and, um, and then work out your issues because... That's how you grow into being a community. You may you may really prize the more difficult members if you take that approach. Did, was there someone else? So yeah. Uh,
1: I wasn't to know about all the beautiful you have uh, brought forth. In 2006, it was only one of my five sons that just said, do you know who Denver Snuffer is in Springville? And I'm leading to a point yeah. is I know everything is orchestrated in the hand of God. It was only through uh, some lady up in Salt Lake that tied me into Mili Tark to put me in the family I'm in in Spanish Fork. That's like a family. And it's just, but what I'm leading to is it's frustrating to me, but it's all meant to be, I guess, but that, that it seems to be difficult out there to find the... I Here's my example is Tim Malone, and I don't have much time to read Tim Malone, Rockwaterman, but Tim Malone, on the front of his page, he has... I get delused, I'm sure he does, about emails, how to meet. He gives you a link to a site, you go to it, and yes, it's got the one... Ours isn't on it. I mean, what I'm trying to say is, there doesn't seem to be a way. Someone goes, I want to find a group, and it's you know what I'm asking.
0: Yeah, I do, and and they're they're actually working on that right now. There's there's work on there's work on several things. There will be a site that's going to come live probably, well, no more than two weeks out. Um, keeping the fingers crossed, uh, could be a week or ten days out in which. Anyone worldwide who wants to be baptized can submit a request, and anyone who has the ability to perform the baptism can check worldwide, and if they're able to perform it, they can connect up. That site is is a site that will become live. It has security features built into it. It has anonymity built yeah. into it. It has confidentiality built into it. That's going to come live Within the next two weeks, anyway. There will be another site that is um, in the preliminary development stages in which you can click on a map anywhere in the world and find out if there is a fellowship anywhere in there. My suspicion is that there may be, for example, um, in Indiana and Ohio, uh, people that May not live close enough to fellowship with one another face to face, but people who can get together for a conference from time to time. And eventually the numbers will grow. Um, there's also another phase of the work that is going to launch in the next year that literally has very, has nothing to do with the Mormon corridor and has everything to do with going out to try and find other people. Who may be interested in the? Um, who may be interested in the doctrine of Christ, the restoration, and um, in learning about more than their typical Christian view of Joseph Smith and the restoration and and Mormonism. Um, My personal view, well, it's not my personal view. The the fact is that Joseph Smith has been maligned by the church that claims itself to have been established by him. Um, If you take Joseph Smith's words, if you take Joseph Smith's sermons and conversations, and you stand them on one side, and then you take the essays, and you take the, I mean, they sold rough stone rolling in Deseret Book. You take the typical history that is told by the Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith was required to undergo a metamorphosis in order to make what Brigham Young claimed to have any defensible uh, position to it. Joseph had to change. And so in the preface to the book that just came out, I quote from one of the fellows that worked in the church historian's office watching them alter the, the history that the church was maintaining precisely to accommodate the claims that the church was making. And so although the Joseph Smith papers have proven to be extremely useful, they are useful because the church doesn't know what to edit out. They don't know what to change. And so in their ignorance, they have published things that I've extensively footnoted that demonstrate exactly what Joseph was and was working on. The restoration was not complete. The manner in which it was taken over and it was managed thereafter has altered the view and has altered the trajectory. It has substantially altered the view that you would take of Joseph Smith. And that's a project I'm taking on. And, and we will be going out um, into the, the Christian world, uh, and, and doing a great deal more there to try and reintroduce Joseph Smith to the um, evangelicals, even the Catholics. I mean, the Catholics have had people in their history that stood exactly in the same position as Joseph did in introducing a new new religious insight. Uh, You take St. Francis and the struggles that St. Francis had— you take you take Martin Luther, and although Catholics hated him at the time, they respect him now. You take John Wesley. You, you take religious reformers throughout history, and, and Joseph Smith stacks up favorably into comparison with any one of them. He said and he did magnificent things in the struggle to perpetuate faith. The most remarkable thing about Joseph is that he never doubted. And it didn't matter how big a mess the people made of it. Two things about Joseph that I'm hoping will become clear, um, and I'm working on it. First thing is, Joseph Smith never doubted, never turned back, never relented, never said, is what I'm doing really what God wants done? That was never the question. The doubts he had was about his ability to get others to recognize it, his ability to preach it, his ability to teach it, and his ability to get others to practice it. That was what he doubted. That's the first point. The second point is, from the beginning, after his childhood ended, Joseph Smith's biggest enemies, his biggest opposition, and his greatest detractors were those who were one-time members of the church. Members of the church were the ones who drove him out of Kirtland. Members of the church were the ones who betrayed in um, Missouri and wound up getting him driven out of Jackson County. Members of the church were responsible in the salt sermon and in the wake of the salt sermon in stirring up literally the, um, the extermination order issued by Governor Lilburn Boggs is a concept drawn from Sidney Rigdon's 4th of July salt sermon. A war of extermination. Sidney Rigdon preached it first. Lilburn Boggs took the Mormons at their word. And in Nauvoo if it were not for Mormons betraying Joseph Smith, he would never have been martyred. A mob may have killed him, but he was surrendered to the mob by members of his own church. Sixty days before his death, he got up and he said, you don't know me. You never knew my heart. Talking to the people that were subsequently entrusted to preserve and teach the legacy of Joseph Smith and who he was. And so we have borrowed a history that has been relayed to us from people that Joseph said never knew him. One of the things about getting back to the starting point necessarily, therefore, is we've got to do a better job of of carving our way through the fog and getting back to a point of departure so that the work can resume. So far as I can tell, Joseph Smith greatly respected women in what he said and what he taught and how he taught it. And I know all the arguments. I've read all the histories. I've read what the the people say. I've, I've read what the accusations are. The fact of the matter is that they are not accurate and the histories that they're based upon, and much of the information was ginned up in consequence of litigation in which Joseph F. Smith went around gathering affidavits in the two affidavit books from which we draw most of the information to redefine what Joseph Smith was doing in uh, in Nauvoo and earlier with plural marriage. Plural marriage was denounced by him as an abomination And he got up and said before a crowd, "Um, I hear all the time that I have wives. I've got seven wives. I'm looking out in the audience and I can only see one, meaning Emma. If you read the letters that Joseph sent to Emma and you read the letters that Emma sent back to Joseph and they are preserved in the correspondence and the documents of the Joseph Smith history, you realize that those two, whatever else was going on around them, those two were in love with one another and Joseph relied on her, respected her, and she loved him. They had a fabulous relationship between the two of them. And I don't care what in sacred loneliness wants to portray otherwise, a fair reading of Joseph's life was that he was a man who was faithful to his wife. So anyway, I'm off on a tangent now. Was was there, was there something else we ought to talk about? yeah.
1: So I've been hearing of uh,
0: some other groups and and even uh, some of the people in the group that I meet with. um,
1: They talk about receiving revelations that it's time to flee Babylon and prepare a place of refuge, prepare a place of refuge. And so people are actually leaving, leaving their jobs, selling their homes and buying up remote properties and deciding to live together and live the law of consecration.
0: And uh, as I've Prayed and fasted about this. I felt concern about that. I don't know that we're anywhere near that. And so I'm I, I, I guess the question is: Does the Lord actually want us to do physically something to prepare, or is it all spiritual preparation at this point? Is there a? Are we anywhere near the law of consecration? Um, I I don't think it is useful for um, people to argue over. The revelations that they've received, in contrast to the revelations someone else has received, I think that we should give allowances for the possibility that someone has received for themselves some communication that, for themselves, they ought to act on. And therefore, I don't want to. I don't want to um, be dismissive of someone's. Um, revelation that 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 says they ought to be doing something, but i was um I was reading out loud to my wife's amusement a letter written in eighteen forty one by Wilford Woodruff in England, in which he was writing back to the saints in Nauvoo about how obvious it was. That we are right now at the end of all time because the, the, um, poverty in England that he was seeing and the abuse of people and the great pollutions that are on the land and all of the, all of the signs, the cholera that was going on in India, the earthquakes that well, they read about from South America. It's really clear that we are now at the culmination of the, the final distress and that God is coming soon and that uh, the plagues have been opened, the angels have been released and the end is upon us. And that was in, um, I think it was the March edition of the, uh, times and seasons for 1841. um, The Apostle Paul writes about, you know, the times of distress are upon us. Everyone in every generation sees that. Here's, Here's the reality, okay? The reality is that in order for the entire earth not to be smitten and utterly wasted at the Lord's return, it will be necessary for there to be a Zion. In fact, it's almost a cause and effect. You have to have the reestablishment of what was in the beginning of the world in the end of the world also. That was a prophecy of Adam he made it in the valley of Adam on Diamond. Enoch was the one that preserves it, so it appears in the Enoch portion of the book of Moses where Enoch uh preserves um Adam's prophecy that that same priesthood which was in the beginning of the world shall also be shall at the end of the world be also and and i I have to tell you that's not um you know. Yada, yada, yada. Your, you know, senior chief apostolic high and holy pontificate of the ninth order. It's not that. It's not that at all. It is reestablishing something about which we know very, very little. And that has to occur. Only within an environment that has been insulated from the world and accepted by God. It has to be physically accepted by the Lord. That edifice has to be located in a place that is approved by the Lord. We don't know the place. We haven't built the edifice. We don't have the right to proceed. But all of this must occur before the invitation is extended. Because God is not going to come to a planet that he utterly wasted his coming. An invitation has to precede the return of our Lord. And that invitation needs to be done in his way, at a place of his choosing, in a manner that he ordains that occurs according to his will, established as a consequence of him returning what was once here back to the earth again. People are wildly enthusiastic about a lot of things, and I don't deny the possibility that their enthusiasm can be based upon something that is um, authentic God talking to them. But as for wrapping up of the creation and the culmination of the ages God's direct involvement in that and the impressive nature of how that will roll forward will not be some people deciding to flee and go farm somewhere. It's, it's going to be a, a little bit different kind of enterprise culminating in a city of righteousness and a people of righteousness and, and in that sense, righteousness includes a great deal of knowledge. The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth, knowledge and, and redemption, all of that go together. Um, I don't, I don't talk about, um, any of the revelations or visitations I've received except to say they have happened. And I will tell you, they have happened. The Lord in his wisdom, and I did a, a little post on Nephi and constraining him and how smart I thought that was in the long run. The Lord in his wisdom has asked that I talk using the scriptures and the things put on the ground by Joseph Smith and not anything else. Okay? Okay. And I think that's an important thing to do until we have first remembered and straightened out what it was that came to us through Joseph. We have no business going out and starting another experimentation. I've used this analogy and some of you have heard it. And then I apologize to those who've heard it, but I'm going to use it again. Um, Edison tried iron, he tried copper, he tried aluminum, he tried a number of elements, all of which failed until he finally used carbon as the filament, and then he got light. Okay. Joseph Smith proceeded with the restoration as a come-as-you-are party. He believed that with the right kind of preaching, you could take any people, convert them, and turn them into Zion. There's some reason to suspect that's a possibility because of what we learn about Melchizedek in the book of Mosiah, in which Mosiah's preaching resulted in people repenting from their wickedness and becoming righteous. And so it's not an irrational thought. It's not a non-scriptural thought because Joseph had translated the book of Mosiah and would be familiar with that. My conclusion, however, is that There's no reason to try iron if Edison tried it and it didn't work. And there's no reason to try copper if Edison tried it and it didn't work. And there is no reason to expect that you can take people and gather them and then try to produce iron. It makes a whole lot more sense, as the scriptures seem to indicate, that first people are taught repentance and then some few repent. Then they are gathered one of a city, two of a family. Then they are gathered. And they are gathered by those who are the angels to whom the keys are entrusted to do that gathering. Then you put them together. We know what Joseph tried to do failed. He did not produce Zion. Uh, Brigham Young doubled down on the model that he assumed Joseph was putting on the ground. And in doubling down on that model, He didn't produce science. We didn't get it in Kirtland. We didn't get it in Missouri. We didn't get it in Nauvoo. And we sure as hell don't have it in Salt Lake City. (laughs) Therefore, there is no reason for us to try and repeat exactly the same thing. It's time to try something new, something other, something different. And I'm getting the signal from the one running the show. It's time to wrap this up and so... Hey, I wish I could have been with you here. It would have been more fun than some of the things I was doing. I'm, I'm pleased, and uh, I'm pleased to see everyone who is here and to renew acquaintances with a number of you folks, some of whom I know came some distance in order to be here. God bless you all. Um, God's hand is moving again. This is going somewhere. It will eventually culminate in the fulfillment of the prophecies. The trouble is whether we do it or whether it is left for another generation depends upon what we do. And and I don't think religious enthusiasm or religious fanaticism produces it. It's kindness to one another. It's taking seriously the things that God asked us to do and then in a meaningful way being self-sacrificing and trying to help and lift other people. Because at the end of the day, Christ summarized all the law and all the prophets in loving God and loving your fellow man, which goes back to the question that uh, Lewis asked about all you quirky people liking one another. Well, that's the challenge. You want to see Zion get a little closer? Then love one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation by Denver Snuffer. For more information, including complete transcripts of all of Denver's lectures, please visit restorationarchives.com. If you would like to hear more Light and Truth, please take a moment to subscribe. Just search for Light and Truth in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.